It is Wednesday, January 20th, and you are listening to Steve Sachs Syndrome. I am Scott Bunn. And I am Tom Chalmers, and this is your Indie Sports Radio. It's yours. It's all of ours. It's for everybody. It's the dawning of a new era, era, era. If I had known that you were going to do that, I would have kicked in with some harmony, you know, like, it's the dawning of a new era. Throw it on your pork pie hat. Yeah. You, did you like how I even put my finger to my ear oh, as oh, I did? I? Did I? <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday, the 20th. We do pre-record, so we are full of tentative optimism here on Monday, the 18th. That <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Wednesday, the 20th will be a glorious day for all involved. Um, but that's for the rest of the world to talk about. We're here to talk about what really matters. Sports. <laughs> sports. <laughs> Donning up. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, we can talk about uh, some of that. There is a, a, a new era has dawned in Brooklyn mm-hmm. as the Brooklyn Nets were sort of coerced into uh, <laughs> trading for James Harden. Uh, but now, yes, uh, Kevin Durant and James Harden have been reunited um, from yeah. Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder days, and uh, we shall see. But uh, certainly interesting. Yeah, and um, also we referenced last week the uh, the passing of Tommy Lasorda, the longtime manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and uh, amongst many other positions that he held with the Dodgers organizations over many many years and so we'll be talking to old friend Nathan Duvall um, a little bit about um, sort of his history his sort of memories of Tommy Lasorda so stay yeah. tuned for that looking forward to talk to Nathan but uh, we start with the NFL mm-hmm. which continues to be a delightful playground for co-host Scott Bunn <laughs> his favorite team the Buffalo Bills buying themselves on the brink of the Super Bowl uh, in the AFC Championship game for the first time in half his life. Yeah, since um, 1994. Um, and uh, that uh, that game was also against the Kansas City Chiefs. Spoiler alert, uh, the Chiefs won as well. Um, so, yes. So our final four teams in the NFL, in the NFC, we have Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, who defeated the New Orleans Saints to advance to play the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field next week. Um, the Packers defeated the Los Angeles Rams. And then we saw um, the Buffalo Bills beat the Ravens um, 17-3 to at home in uh, uh, sort of cold, windy conditions. And they will advance, and they are, will be playing the Kansas City Chiefs, who... Um, just hung on to uh to beat the cleveland browns never in uh, doubt never in doubt no exciting so uh, congratulations that, that must yeah. feel good um to uh, get to the place of not only playing playoff games but winning playoff games so hooray for you yeah it, it feels good we've now won um two playoff games we're at the afc um championship it was funny that you know Throughout the sort of latter half of the year, when the Bills were going on that big streak, everybody was saying, we just want to see Bills Chiefs in the AFC Championship. Let's just have that happen. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't think that way, like one game at a time. And, you know, as I've been sort of texting you and everybody else who's like, hey, great win. And I'm like, on to the next round, like one game at a time, you know, just like the old Bill Belichick, like on to Cincinnati. So that's what's that's what's good about this. We we are now in the AFC Championship. Um, you know, it was a, a tough and unusual, very odd game against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, but yeah, we're yeah excited to play the Chiefs. I can't. I really can't believe we're here. Uh, I'm just sort of giddy, excited, and just like. The feeling of like, what do I do with my hands when we win? Do I touch my face? Do I touch my hair? Like, what do I do? Clap? Yay! You know, it's just, uh, yeah, I can't remember how the, uh, how this feels. <laughs> and the way they went about it is you know, very unorthodox. They just did not run the ball once in the first quarter. I believe that was the first time that a uh, NFL team had ever won a playoff game 
without running the ball even once in the first quarter. Uh, but they have figured out that it's, you know, while some are looking to kind of establish a style mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, uh, emerge with that more and more each week, they're like, no, we're going to figure out how to beat the other team mm. um, that we play this week. So we're going to figure out the best way to do that. The previous week they figured out that uh, Josh Allen running quarterback, uh, you know, runs right up the middle because mm-hmm. the uh, Colts were coming around with side pressure. So that was the right thing to do. And uh, this week they're like, no, we're just going to just keep throwing the ball. Granted, yeah. they had some you know injuries and they're running stable, but also yep. they just thought that was the best way to go about it. And it was not the most dynamic first half, ending with a 3-3 tie. Yep. Um, but they did figure out that uh, running was not going to do a lot of good against that kind of vaunted Baltimore Ravens defensive line. So... You, you have to be impressed with the coaching staff, which I actually think is the the best thing about the Bills, is their coaching. Yeah, yeah um, it's very good. And um, I think also, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, the, the game plan against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' vaunted rushing game, uh, I thought was excellent. Uh, we actually, um, the Bills played the Ravens last year um, very well um, when the Ravens were, you know, the sort of bell of the ball and and hot and um yeah the bills um the bills contained lamar jackson played very well and really it was uh you know josh allen and the offense just wasn't sort of ready to take that next step though at the same time we were within a touchdown and we're driving and had a, a attempt to um tie the game at the very end so we kind of i, I think the bills were pretty confident um against the the Ravens offense. And you could see that um, that was by far the best pass rush we've had in a number of weeks. The secondary played amazing. Uh, Edmonds played great linebacking crew, but, um, but really also, you know, sort of taking advantage of opportunities, right? Uh, we saw Justin Tucker, uh, you know, very good, um, field goal kicker for the Ravens, like the most accurate kicker in NFL history um, within 50 yards. We all know that, but we would never think to actually say that right before he's going to make a kick, would we, <laughs> Al Michaels? Yep, it's Al Michaels' fault. Um, we know that. Yep. I do laugh. There it is. I don't, you know, I never mean to promote uh, mediocre beer, but the commercials are good. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, Coors has a pretty funny commercial about a guy who's sent to uh, court mm-hmm. um, because I'm sorry, it's uh, Dr. Pepper. Uh, yes. it's Dr. Pepper, um, uh, because he jinxed a kick. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and they, you know, uh, yeah, it's just it's very funny. You said he, this guy almost never misses, kind of thing. That's exactly what Al Michaels did. And of course, you know me. Yes. Everyone by myself, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and doink. Um, yep. And then, uh, so he makes a point not to uh, mention how good a kicker he is on the second one, but did mention the crosswind and sure, yes. Shh, double doink. Yep. Ow, what are you doing? Just <laughs> yeah, Tom, let him kick. Tom, I think for that Dr. Pepper commercial, you like if you got called for the jury, oh. they'd eliminate you immediately. They're like, this guy's biased. Like, yo, we can't have him there. Give him the yeah. chair. Yeah. Uh, it was that. Um, what was really interesting, though, um, talking about coaching and game planning, is that you know the Bills got the ball, um, you know, right after halftime, and suddenly they were running the ball, um, you know, and so they were like, okay, we saw what they're doing; they're not blitzing Josh Allen, sort of how what they were expecting uh, the Ravens to do, and so they said, what running plays will be effective against this uh, run defense? And, you know, Singletary was able to do that. I, you know, the Bills marched down um, and scored, I thought, pretty easily 10-3. And then immediately after that was the, you know, the Ravens did drive. But then we saw the Taron Johnson 101-yard uh, pick six. And, you know, that that basically changed the game. It was suddenly 17-3. to And so... Um, just ever the whole sort of tenor, the whole game plan changed after that. So I actually felt pretty confident when the Bills went down and scored, you know, pretty easily on that first drive that it was like, oh, I, I feel like we can 
we're going to be able to get some points because of the the change in game plan. Then the game plan changed all over again as soon as they were up 14 points. So you're saying the whole first half was one of those loud clap fake snaps? Yeah. We saw Ohio State using in the college football championship game where you just got to go, okay, let's see what they're doing. Okay, now what do we do? Yeah. (laughs) Okay with that. Um, my, My take on this weekend was... Uh, I, I do feel like the four best teams have uh, moved mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, the teams that lost were sort of revealed as yes, not exceptional. You know, yeah. like the Rams, good for them for making the playoffs. They always play the Seahawks well, so that first mm-hmm. round victory is very satisfying. But just, you know, they are not uh, uh, elite, and, and Green Bay is. Um, I, I also think that, um, you know, uh, being a great team means – being fully healthy, you know, Aaron Donald was not at full strength, you know, and so um, that was part of it too. I don't think the Rams probably would have beaten the Packers, but it sure didn't help that their like all world defensive lineman w- wasn't able to play as well as he Down could. Down a rib, yeah. Yes, um, right. I sort of felt, you know, I was, you know, the the Cleveland Browns Oof. played well, but uh, you know, just weren't ready to, you know, they had a chance when, you know what many people believe is the most dynamic player in football is out of the game for the last quarter and a half. Yeah. You have to find a way to win that game. Yeah. Which they didn't put, you know, they just showed that they are there. They are a playoff team, win a game, but yeah, they're not quite elite. And then I I think that the Saints and Ravens and particularly their quarterbacks were exposed as for whatever reason, not outstanding playoff quarterbacks. They're great. I mean, obviously Drew Brees is one of the, the best ever. And he does have a Super Bowl the year that kind of everything came together. But there's a lot of just, huh, as we you know, we like listening to the uh, British pastors uh, yeah. for the sports. Oh, uh, you, would, you would have expected more of him in that situation kind of thing, which is, you sort of do end up saying about Drew Brees and um, uh, Lamar Jackson in playoff games. Like, oh, you would have expected a little bit more from them there, which is not like they're bums, they're terrible people. No, but just like, huh. You would expect a little bit more of them in that situation, and they, you know, they weren't. Um, I, I think Breeze, that was his goodbye. You know, yeah. he's forty-two years old. He had eleven broken ribs like a month ago. You know, and it was just revealed that he he wasn't able to complete a pass over ten yards. You yeah. know, and you know, in the in the playoffs, you're just you know, this league isn't like the sort of Trent Dilfer 2000 Baltimore Ravens that can just like sort of like, oh, we'll just do this and win by defense. Like you just can't do that anymore. And so uh, there's just a certain ceiling that teams, you know, like the Ravens, like the Saints, if you're not able to have a sort of deep passing game in any sort of way, you know, convert third and eights, third and twelves, you know, that kind of thing. I I think we saw that. And then in the Kansas City Chiefs game, so yeah, uh, we see uh, Patrick Mahomes go down with sort of a weird concussion. It wasn't necessarily that he got slammed into, but it sort of was like head was sort of pulled and twisted. Yeah. He was kind of brought to the ground. But you saw him just wobbly and good for his linemen for being right there to be like, hey, man, don't let him see that. Let's, yeah. let's just get to the sidelines, you know. Yep. Um, uh, but I, I'm always, I, I just think that a lot of sports media, and I'm sure we're guilty of some, it's just so mean. And they're like, oh, Colt McCoy. Like, that's a person with a family yeah. who's in the pros. Are you? You know. Um, so I just so many times. Like, so Chad Henney is yes. the backup quarterback, thirty-five years old, which you know in you know, football years is in his fifties. So uh, I'm rooting for him. I'm just happy to see a guy who his, he has kids who are like five and seven years old. They've never seen him make a play. Yeah, and they were at the game, and they're like, "Oh, Dad, you do play football." <laughs> yes. Just really happy that. Uh, Again, a guy that so many people are like, oh, Chad Henney. It's like, yeah, a guy who's going to come in and do his best. Like, yeah. I would sign on right now to be a career backup quarterback or backup anything, you know? Yeah. Um, so I wish to see a guy that most people would just sort of like snicker at, um, had an opportunity to make, you know, basically two plays. He made a terrible interception, but two plays and we win the game. He makes this great scramble, comes up a little short. Oh my, Andy Reid calls this really yeah. gutsy uh, fourth and one call and uh, and executes it. It's the same play they ran at the end of the Dolphins game. But I was just really happy for the career quarterback that I'm sure a lot of people have sort of, you know, 
the wished, you know, oh my God, you know, that's what we have to watch today. Well, I, Yay. yeah, and I, I thought what was great about that was, uh, yeah, not not only did Andy Reid have the sort of <laughs> cojones, the the gumption to um, to do that call, do that play, but as you said, they had done it in a similar situation, but that was with Patrick Mahomes. Yes. You know, when you have Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league, or one of the two best quarterbacks in the league, to, to, uh, depending on how you want to define it, like you're more apt to call that play, right? So here is Chad Henney, who did play Week 17, but hadn't really played a meaningful football game since 2014, I think it was. Uh, and so what uh, what impresses me about Andy Reid was, yeah, this is what we're going to do. This is who we are. And it doesn't matter if Mahomes is in here or if we've got Chad Henney. This is just what we're going to do. That's what I really liked about it is like we're going to we're going to be aggressive about that. And yeah, think about last week when we were yelling at Mike Tomlin and uh, Mike Vrabel, like be aggressive. You're in the playoffs. It's fourth and one. Go for it. Like that's how you win. And that's what Andy Reid did. And I do think. Going a couple years back when they played the Patriots in the AFC Championship, mm-hmm. uh, get to overtime, they lose the yep. coin toss, and they just basically watch the Patriots yep. get out score. That that stays with you. Yep. I know it's not the same terms, but it is. If we're going to lose, let's lose because we couldn't do something, not because like, oh, right. well, oops, there they yeah. go driving. So we talked a little NFL, and uh, we might actually get back to a little bit of NFL talk a little bit later in the show. But we are going to transition, um, even though it is January, it is a it isn't traditionally a time one thinks about uh, baseball. Though the hot stove league is uh, is always fun in January. <laughs> love it love it but uh we do want to talk some baseball tom do you want to do an introduction for us yeah as we mentioned at the end of last week's episode uh long time los angeles dodger manager and otherwise uh, tommy lasorda passed away and his career is just a little too big just to get a, a one-line mention at the end of the show so we wanted to reach out to our resident dodgers enthusiast and so <laughs> we have uh, nathan duvall back with us to uh talk a little bit about his uh career but we'll start with just this. Nathan, we are so glad that we did not bring the Steve Sack Syndrome curse to the <laughs> L.A. Dodgers. We had you on um, right before Game 6. We actually pre-recorded on Monday, and then right. Game 6 was on Tuesday. Uh, and we are like, hopefully they'll win tomorrow. And they did. Um, and, and because of that, you were back on the show and not like, I'll never go on that damn show. <laughs> the curse. We have done to some people. Yeah, we ha- we have s- had some past guests who are like, nope, not going on until after it's done. So thank you, Nathan, for being that one who who was steadfast and true. So, My okay, pleasure. So congratulations I... on the Dodgers uh, winning the uh, the bubble series. <laughs> thank you very much. I worked so hard. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I did want to let you guys know that I bought a a gaudy ornament. It's like a World Series ring. It's the size of your fist. <laughs> for for the Christmas tree and also a uh, a World Series uh, tro- the World Series trophy along with this hilarious this shirt that I'm wearing my oh, I got two shirts I got two I went totally off the rails as soon as it was over awesome. I, I, the only I thing I'm missing those when you uh-huh. hang that ornament it bends the tree over like Charlie <laughs> Brown and the sapphire tree you got it's key you got a strategy you got to go got to go in deep with those heavy ones exactly <laughs> exactly well, good for you. Um, so, yeah, we wanted to uh, just uh, check in. And, yeah, so Tommy Lasorda, I mean, the phrase bleed Dodgers blue um, is used often, but never more appropriately for uh, Tommy Lasorda, who uh, uh, passed away this, uh, uh, just a few days back. Um, he was in his 90s. He had been part of the Dodgers organization for over 70 years. Um, mind blowing. Which is just incredible. So, um, yeah, whatever it is that you would uh, like to... Uh, Say to help people understand who Tom Lasorda was and why he was uh, a great manager, but also a really specific character in the world of sports and baseball. He he was, and I think he's a he's just a man of his generation. He he served in the army in nineteen forty six, I believe nineteen forty six, nineteen forty seven. So like post uh, World War Two mop up, he kind of showed up at the end there, and 
he was he was of that ilk. He's of that kind of Archie Bunker generation, mm. a proud uh, Italian American first generation. His parents were immigrants from Italy, so he's just a salt of the earth guy with this bounding enthusiasm. And uh, there was a lot. There were a few things that happened when he died that I I didn't know of. Um, but there were two. There was one story specifically I wanted to tell that in one of my Dodger groups came up. I'm part of a couple of Dodger Facebook groups, and this one woman told a story of. Being a young girl, like maybe it was in 1974, 1973, when Tommy was a third base coach to Walter Austin, and they used to, as a group, go down to this, a couple of Italian restaurants in right in the heart of downtown near Chinatown. There's a couple of these really cool older Italian restaurants, and they would just eat there and get hammered. And I think what <laughs> happened is, is that this young, you know, she's a young girl. She goes over uh, to Tommy and says. And may I please have your autograph? And he looks at her and says, and grabs her and like, I grabbed her and said, you know, what do you want my autograph for? And she immediately bursts into tears. And he's like, oh, so, so sorry. Goes into damage control and, and uh, buys her family dinner and gives, gives her tickets to a game and tries to you know, make it better. But he, he uh, brought her back again and said, he's like, look, I, you know, I didn't mean to scare you, but I really wanted to know, why did you want my autograph? I'm just a third base coach. And she said, I just, I just wanted, you just looked uh, kind. And he's like, my mistake. <laughs> and, uh, and, but there's a lot, there are a lot of stories like that in the group about how people would run into him. I mean, he lived in Fullerton, which I didn't know. And Fullerton's mm -hmm. a, is uh, just South of downtown. It's not necessarily known as like a, uh, a wealthy suburb of Los Angeles. I'm sure I don't know Fullerton as well. I'm sure there's areas that are, that are, um, that are Tony, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a working class area. And I'm, I guess got from a lot of the, the stories that that it ran deep with him. His, his parents are immigrants and that kind of stuck with him. And he he uh, was a bootstrap kind of guy and, and just treated in general, treated Dodger fans pretty well. I mean, he might be kind of rough and and and, uh, you know, ornery with him. But for the most part, he, it sounds like he was a really good he treated fans. Well, he seemed to be the ultimate crossover from the Brooklyn Dodgers to the L.A. Dodgers. <laughs> he seemed much more a Brooklyn Dodger than uh, Los Angeles, although Los Angeles definitely uh, enjoyed him very much. And uh, in, in one of the tributes along the way, someone mentioned that's how you knew you were in a, you know, a, a legit Italian restaurant. If you saw the three photos on the wall, the Pope, Frank Sinatra, and Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> Maybe Tony Bennett. Totally. That's, that's perfect. Exactly. Yeah, when you said, Tom, that uh, he bleeds Dodger blue, and I was like, and a little bit of tomato sauce, too, <laughs> you know, like, um, but uh, one of the things that I loved about Tommy Lasorda was that um, just like uh, all of the kind of old school managers is like, you know, a lot of the managers that we see now, like when they're wearing a, a baseball uniform, they kind of look like they should, whereas like Tommy Lasorda kind of a kind of a big guy you know He's a big man yeah and and like one of the i was showing um this summer um to my kids um somehow we were watching about uh, like some really good play and then the like kirk gibson highlight showed up on youtube i said okay hold on we're not going anywhere because we're watching this all um and one of the best things about that, first of all, Steve Sachs was on, um, was, uh, was, on third? was he on third? No, he was next That's, up. He was up. He was next up, right? Gibson. Okay, right, right. Yeah, right. he was up next. Uh, but um, that after Gibson hits the home run, that Tommy Lasorda is like running out of the dugout, like hands up in the air, like, ah! and you know, this big spaghetti gut, you know, just hanging out. But he's just like, just so excited not nothing like cool he's just like yeah we're we're just going for it and yeah that's my like picture of the, tommy lasorda is going crazy about those things or when he was mad it just chewing out an umpire like he yes all passion he was just into every pitch he was into every game that's beautiful it, it, there's so many stories like that too of him <laughs> losing control there's let me i got a great quote for you here from vin scully i think this was mm. i think this was pretty recent and uh so this has been scully on on tommy he says i'm not gonna even try a, a Vinny read but he's <laughs> he says uh i remember him for his competitive spirit his determination and above all this boundless energy and self-belief his heart was bigger than his talent and there were no foul lines for his enthusiasm <laughs> 
<laughs> that's, that's, that's a great line. Yeah, back to the idea that, yeah, I think the fact that, uh, uh, yeah, Major League managers wear the uniform mm-hmm. it is an odd thing. And I, I think towards the end of someone's career, it may <laughs> hold them back from being regarded as sort of a, a great leader of men. Yeah. Instead of this, like, giant man child. Yeah. Um, you know, like, <laughs> you think of, like, Phil Jackson or otherwise, always, like, in a nice suit or otherwise, as uh, you know, managers tend to do. Um, but so I think we don't maybe give him some of the credit uh, mm. for, uh, you know, incredible accomplishments. Like, he had twice uh, four year runs where uh, the rookie of the year was on the Dodgers. He, yeah. He wow. did it at two yeah. different times. So, I mean, that, that, obviously, that is a. Uh, uh, a nice reflection on the LA Dodgers, you know, farm system, but still to, to be able to say that, you know, you are bringing talent out in their first year to an exceptional uh, level. And, you know, he was there for, uh, uh, you know, Fernando mania, um, uh, Steve Sachs, for those mm-hmm. who listen to the show, you know, Steve Sachs syndrome is, uh, named after a player, Steve Sachs, who had a condition where he just, lost the ability to make the easiest throw from second to first. And he credits Tommy Lasorda for sticking with him mm-hmm. and telling him, like, you're, you're going to get past this. And sure enough, he does and has, you know, many years of a successful career after that. Um, but still, yes, we just think of him as, like, you know, big baby in a, Jolly. In, in like a little, little slugger outfit running around. Yeah. Well, and uh, also uh, also that he, you know, he sort of convinced the the Dodgers to draft Mike Piazza as a favor to Piazza's dad, like they were they were friends and then of course Piazza becomes a a Dodgers Dodger great as well. Um so yeah, that that idea of family still like um you know, very very much for Italian American but also for like the Dodger organization, you know, he, he definitely felt as though, you know, the Dodgers were, were a large family and you could see it just in, you know, in the drafting of Piazza. And loyalty. That's what I was, I came to today and I was thinking about that because we had this conversation last time that the, the era kind of changed somewhere in the eighties as players got agents and they were able to uh, collectively bargain and then it completely everything changed across all sports and it became more about the the athlete as a brand and it's it's rare and we probably will never see this kind of loyalty again where just like you mentioned you know at the top Tom he's 70 years i mean i've been i've barely been married to my wife for 15 i i can't like <laughs> 70 years is mind blowing or you know in and out of the organization i guess not the whole 70 years but that is that's really impressive so uh, I like to mention one thing, though. I, I didn't know this as, uh, as, as I was reading a lot of the information about it. There's a lot of interesting facts and some kind of, you know, <laughs> ribald kind of stuff. Um, I didn't know that he, his son, uh, Tommy Jr., I guess he was called Spunky. Yeah. He uh, died of, of AIDS complications in 1991. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about the story is that is that a lot of people kind of said, well, you know, now we have to have a, a deeper conversation about Tommy Sr., and I guess what struck me about the the several articles I then followed up on was that it seemed that that him and his he and his son had a had a good relationship that his son understood that his dad was never he was just of a different generation and was never going to pull it together and and really understand you know how his son was living his life and he and he still loved his dad and didn't become estranged which which I mean his son must must have been one brave person to do that and one um kind and loving open spirit to to you know not to, to understand his dad just does not get it and never will and and just sort of accepted his father for who he was and and then at the same time when he died tommy could not admit it he could not say that hey my son um, died of aids complications and he could have you know he could have done a lot with his power but he didn't and it it's so it's just that it was it was pretty crushing to hear that but yeah i and no, you know i understand from that generation yeah, he he would say that his died son of uh, died of cancer. Um, so he gave he, you know he he said cancer was the cause. And people, That's what he said was cancer. Yeah, like oh, it was pneumonia. Or, 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 yeah, or, yeah, or you know, definitely not that. But yeah, that's what I read. Uh, um, but uh, so yeah, it's just tricky. I mean, yeah, uh, and then you know, good for them. Uh, at least for you know, I, I wish it were a more complete relationship, but it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, hooray you know, for Tommy Junior getting like. My dad is capable of a lot of things. He has, you know, shaped and lifted so many 
lives of young men and even adult men. Um, the fact that he wasn't able to sort of, uh, you know, get through this one thing it would have been nice if, but that, that doesn't all of a sudden cancel everything else that he did. Yeah. Well, just one thing I wanted to talk about. So you're probably able to remember the last time they did win the World Series, which was 1988, which was Tommy Lasorda. Um, and uh, that, other than Oral Hershiser, that was not a particularly good team. I mean, the st- statistics, <laughs> they like batting average, like 240. No one batted over 300. No one wow. had like more than 100 RBI. Again, statistically, not a great team, but... You know, that is like rallying men to become a unit and we have a single goal and heck if they didn't pull it off. Was that it wasn't it was it Ron Paranoski? Was he the pitching coach? Maybe. I think it was Paranot. They always had great pitching coaches and they're I'm not I think Bob was Bob Well Bob Welsh might have been I think he left the team right after that. Yeah, he won the ring eventually. Yeah, he won the ring and then went to the A's and won with them. Um and it was they always had yeah they always had great. It was, what was funny about that team was Pedro Guerrero because mm. he was you never knew like what was going to happen with him. He would he was just like it was a lot like Puig because he he would run he was man he was fast but he did not know how to slide. And every time he slid in the second base, he would you <laughs> close your eye like oh no he's going to break his leg. He did break his leg at one point sliding into second base. But it that um that specific series he went crazy and. Uh, and I think that was that was him, Steve Yeager, and who, was it was him and Oral Hirsch? Was that the, or that's nineteen eighty one? No, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. That was nineteen eighty one where Guerrero went went nuts. That's nineteen eighty one. I'm confusing the two. Nineteen, you know, to be honest, nineteen eighty eight, um, I was a deadhead and I was not paying attention. <laughs> nope. I you know I I I knew I know more about the nineteen eighty one World Series than I do nineteen eighty eight. Well, in eighty eight, they uh, Kirk Gibson did win the MVP for the regular season, but he was hurt for the World right. Series, and that's part of the 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 storybook is that right. was his only at bat in in the World Series was um was that home run in Game One, um backdoor so, slider. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so we've got Nathan Duvall here, and we're talking the Los Angeles Dodgers. And uh, so, Nathan, uh, we should recognize to our listeners that you are wearing the L.A. Dodgers hat. You are wearing Los Angeles Dodgers World Champions 2020 uh, thing. So what um, uh, is there any kind of baseball memorabilia? Like if there was a Tommy Lasorda item <laughs> yes. that you could have let's say like unlimited thing like pick something from this warehouse do you do you have something that you were like i i, I could do this would like would it be like a a signed signed black and white picture like up on the italian uh restaurants like Tom Ooh, that's good you, you know what i want or maybe have it made i want like a uh a tomulus sort of pizza finger where it says like, this, like some just giant pizza finger with his name on it his number i don't know um, I did recently, I mean, recently I went crazy. I, I didn't go too crazy. Uh, there was a sale, sweetheart. <laughs> I got a bunch of uh, world. I was just telling you guys off mic. I got a bunch of World Series merch, which I, I rarely do. I got the uh, um, like the Los Doyers, the uh, uh, Mexicano style Day nice. of the Dead um, shirt, which is rad. It looks great in the dark. My daughter loves it. And then I got this, uh, the long sleeve one here for the cold days. And then I got these two great ornaments. One is a giant gaudy ring, as those you know World Series rings are anyway. But this giant ring, the size of your fist, for the tree and a um, World Series trophy. So I were my friends at my best friend and I are definitely you know basking in it. I mean, every time we we call each other on the phone, we see each other on Zoom. It's we are the champions. I mean, I don't think what people understand is that when you live in Los Angeles, you're besieged with. Yankees and Red Sox fans they mm-hmm. are everywhere and then in some cases it feels like you're outnumbered because Dodger fans have been traditionally lackadaisical there's not those of us that grew up there are pretty fervent but uh, most people move I mean, there's so many different you know tra- uh, trans kind of like Asheville people yeah. come from all over the world to live in Los Angeles so you you end up seeing you know you're walking on a trail and there's like five Yankee hats and you know like, come on and so to finally win the World Series we're uh yeah um Throwing up on our gear and and basking in the glory, uh, which does bring us back to Tommy Lasorda. The first uh, two times, so his first year as manager, he brings them to the World Series. They lose to the Yankees. Um, I cried. Whether it be the next year or a few years later, back to the World Series against the Yankees, they lose again. 
third time, gets back to the World Series against the Yankees all three times in six games. This time, uh, he finds a way to uh, beat those New York Yankees and bring the Dodgers the uh, championship that he had promised them. I guess that was the first time in 18 years at that point that they had won. Um, so for me, if I were to get a, you know, like you sort of have like the little uh, uh, fart machine, the little like, you know, like thing you can press that makes like different parts. I would just want that. But uh, it's just Tommy was sort of swearing. Uh, yes. Because yeah. he was known for, yes, he, he could swear like a sailor uh, on leave. Um, and there are great audios of him going up to the mound and just cursing out the guy. Uh, or there's a very funny um, press conference where, uh, they have lost a game in which Dave Kingman um, uh, hits three home runs, and a reporter asks, kind of classic, like, um, so what is your opinion of his, his performance? And Tom's like, what do you think my bleeping opinion is of his bleeping performance? <laughs> he hit bleeping three bleeping home runs kind of thing. And it's so funny, and it's so in character. Um, very Tom Lasorda, which brings it to your, Scott, your point. You thought his name was just perfect for who he is. Yes, that's exactly right. He, If someone were to say hey, here's my friend, or check out this picture of Tommy Lasorda, you would already have this image of what he looks like in your head. Tom, you said there is a good um, Tommy Lasorda connection with David Letterman? Yeah, I just, uh, in, you know, just looking up some clips, I didn't realize that he was sort of a, a favored kind of regular on David Letterman. David Letterman loved having him uh, on for an interview, but also whenever they uh, were in the L.A. area, they would just find a way to have... Uh, uh, Tommy will sort of show up in cameos, um, Biff Henderson kind of going out and doing things, and Tommy Henderson like, you get out of here, kind of So he was just sort of a, uh, a regular thing because his, at least he played up as Letterman was so good for, with Charles Grodin otherwise, his sort of cantankerous nature, even though Tommy Lasorda is known as a very jolly guy. Whenever he was on Letterman, what are you doing? Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anybody uh, that Dave Letterman loves is, is loved by me as well. So, uh, uh, Nathan, we, we've got more to talk about, but yes, yeah, just uh, what a huge character, and no one loved baseball more than Tommy Lasorda. Mm -hmm. He was very clear, like, I'm living the life. He said, it was like, I could sort of write down on a piece of paper the life I would want to live and hand it to God. He's like, it pretty much <laughs> looks like exactly the life that I'm living, so thank you, thank you. So, um, yeah, just, uh, yeah, and despite all that, clearly pretty darn good at what he did to, to win that many uh, division championships, uh, or and eventually, you know, a, a couple World Series. Uh, he he knew what he was doing. He just he wasn't just a, a big ball of joy and enthusiasm. I, I think you hit on it earlier with the fact that that uh, the '88 team didn't have a lot of record-breaking years among the players. He seemed to really understand pitchers and small ball. I was there for that R.J. Reynolds game where I think maybe we talked about this the last time. And I think it was after that. I think it was. 83 or 84 I went with my mom on like free tickets as part of that Pepsi uh, fan club or, or maybe $16 or something but anyway it was a it was a squeeze and it, it, it I think that game got them into a one a one uh, game playoff with the Astros for the uh, for the pennant and it, the whole thing was just unlikely and and everyone thought that RJ was was going to be swinging away and he was a rookie too and he laid down this perfect bunt it might have been Bill Russell on third and uh, came in and anyway, Tommy was famous for that squeeze bunts, uh, really understanding how to how to set the players in the field on the defensive side. And then it was a great pit and they really understood his pitchers and what he could get away with. So we'll uh, switch over to some of that hot stove league and we're talking about great pitchers and just wondering how you feel that the uh, San Diego Padres was Ooh. nice to see that rivalry get stoked a little bit last year. But they went out and have signed uh, two major pitchers to their staff and are clearly like, Dodgers, we're coming for you. They are. It's exciting. I, I, I just read, in fact, I don't know the, the, uh, the Pirates pitcher that well, but I just read today that the, uh, anyway, yeah, they did a deal with the Pirates for a, a serious pitcher. And it's, it's great to see. I mean, it looks like the owner there in the Padres is, is definitely bent on, on fielding a team and, you know, expenses are, are not a, a concern and they're going for it. So that's yeah, great for baseball. It, the they Dodgers should win the Darvish from the Cubs and they mm. got, uh, they got Darvish. They did get. Yeah. And then they oh, got wow. uh, Snell from the sure uh, Blake Snell. Yeah. yeah. The Rays who was involved in that sort of controversial early lifting in game six. Right. Right. And then, and then this some, some kid today from the pirates, I don't know if he's a, a bullpen guy or not, 
but they, it's 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 exciting. It'll make the the uh, division more exciting. The Dodgers. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Whatever we're up to now, I can't remember. Um, it it should. Yeah, you want to see you know more exciting division. So does baseball. Yeah, Nathan. Um, I, I kind of feel as though that the sort of Padres Dodgers rival rivalry is very one sided. Like sort of like. I, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, so like I would say that you know the New England Patriots are our biggest rival, and the Patriots are like we don't even care about the Bills, like we want to beat the Jets. You know, I think the same thing. The Padres are like we gotta beat the Dodgers, and Dodgers are like okay, whatever you guys like. We really care about the Giants. You know, like would would you say that that is uh, Padres Dodgers is a sort of one sided rivalry? It can't, you know, it's it it waned in this, you know, it was real in the 70s mm. uh you know Padres Dodgers Giants those three were pretty intense and it, it I mean the I can't tell you how many games I went to and the Padres beat us as a kid mm. so it was a little but I mean it was yeah it was nothing like the Giants so there was not I mean people weren't dying in the parking lot oh, it, was, uh, yes. it wasn't like that yeah. yes yeah but it it feels as though that should be a bigger bigger rivalry I mean it, it will. it's only only a two-hour you know, drive difference between the the teams and uh, but it's just that people in San Diego are pretty nice. So you know, <laughs> they're like, we live in San Diego. This is great. We want to beat the Dodgers, but you know, like we're all good, right, guys? <laughs> you know, let's have a fish taco. San Diego's an interesting town, though. You you got watch your step. I have I have got. I mean, it's a border town, like anywhere. Yep. I, I know you mean like the 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 boating crowd, but San Diego, <laughs> it's got an underbelly. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Nathan, while we have you on, we don't only want to talk Dodgers baseball with you. There's a lot going on in sports: NFL, NBA, uh, crazy trades and trends. Uh, anything else? Yeah, United I mean States? it's. it's it's kind of like it's a big question, but I'm I'm really curious because I myself I backed away from the NFL for a few years now. In fact, I I only watched a few snaps this year, and I was kind of, I'm a Saints fan, so I was really bummed to kind of miss that last game um, against Tampa Bay. And I, I heard that um, that Brady was was uh, kind, I guess, and to his kids or something. But the the reason I pulled away was was that I just couldn't reconcile myself anymore with the Washington Redskins. The, uh, I'm so happy to hear that they've that the the league has been forced to uh, you know deal with that and they're not they don't even have a, a mascot this year and it and then and I guess the other reason why I'm kind of, is that is that it's really hard to watch Colin Kaepernick be Kaepernick be such a, a heroic figure I mean he really is I mean he's doing something that my parents always told me would happen to me in life they're like at some point you're going to be given this decision and there's a right decision and a wrong decision. And even though you make the right one, it doesn't necessarily mean things are going to turn out right well for you. And, and he's done that. And, but at the same time, I can see that, that uh, they're really, they're trying, they're trying to make an effort. They're, they're, um, they're doing what they can. How do you guys, how do you guys kind of deal with that kind of stuff like mascots and, uh, and, and some of these social issues that we're going through as a, as a country. And then when it applies to sports, how do you do you do you just kind of push it out of your review and mirrors like this is my escape or how do you guys uh, handle it? Uh, it's tricky. I would say, yeah, the Washington football team, their mascot this year was a graphic designer. <laughs> but I, I thought Scott was very good all this year to be like, let's just check in. How are you with sports and COVID? You know, just anytime we have right. a cast on, he would kind of check because yeah, the, you just had to like, should we even be doing this? So I, I thought that. That is sure. a, a, a good equivalent to what you do end up doing with football, which is like, yeah, there's definitely this thing. I'm just like, can can a lot of these things please be better? Or how how many second and third chances can we give to people who are n- not particularly good people but talented football players? So, right. So yeah, there is a lot of. Well, I'm gonna just try to focus on the competition in front of me and not necessarily on the. Uh, promotion or discouraging or from promoting of you know worthwhile causes um so yeah there, there is you do have to compartmentalize to it to be able to enjoy and yeah we have guests on who are like i and i just can't i can't do the compartmentalizing anymore it's just not worth it um yeah and i think that depends on your sport uh i i like football i'm not saying it's my favorite favorite but i like it so those who love football are going to find a way um I'm not saying that there are uh, equal uh, things that make you go, huh, about baseball. But 
I think that would be a harder test for you because that is your favorite sport. Um, so I, I, I think if you really love that sport, you're going to find a way to get past some of the uh, difficulties. Um, so I'll point that to Scott, who really just has one favorite team, and that is the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> right. yeah, that's basically it. But, uh, yeah. you know, I think, um, you know, sort of this sh- just in terms of Steve Sachs syndrome in this show, you know, we try to try to share the sort of positive aspects of sports. We try not to be, you know, jerks, not to try and run people down. And I, I think it's been, you know, since we've been on the air, we've tried to talk about, you know, the the darker side of those, you know, Ray Rice being a, a really clear example. I remember uh, when that right. happened, you know, it, it made me really even queasy thinking about the I, the idea of the NFL, that was a really tough time, I, I think, for me. And um, and at the same time, you know, there are, you know, magical, pretty cool stories that come out of sports that, um, that you know, I, you know, that's what I sort of try to hang on to as someone who's always loved sports. You know, for your specific example about Colin Kaepernick, you know, I, you know, I've just said from the beginning, you know, I think the NFL has, you know, totally just played that wrong from the very beginning. Um, and like, uh, and if it was the NBA, you know, um, uh, Silver, the commissioner would have said, he's on one of your teams, I can choose a team that he's going to be on, um, or one of you can step forward right now. But he's going to be on one of our rosters and he will uh, be playing in the NBA. So do I hear any volunteers? I really wish that we had seen that kind of leadership um, in the NFL. Uh, Tom, what were you going to say? Nathan, I was going to point it back to you. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, the passing of Phil Spector this week mm. uh, is kind of the perfect example of people. like, Oh, the wall of sound. People like, He killed a girl, <laughs> you know, so there's just. You know, so some people are like, uh, okay, but I'm going to focus on the, the landmark, you know, contributions to music. And some people, uh, Jake Tapper had a, you know, a pretty strong tweet about it, which is like, that, that's all I know about his life was that he took someone else's. So, you know, people have to do that in a lot of different things. Do you choose to listen yeah. to Michael Jackson's music anymore? Do you, yeah. you know, there's, there's all these things that you, you can try to separate it and... Uh, so, you know, I know that I just made it just even a, a, a dirtier martini uh, by bringing some <laughs> other, other things into the, the mix there. But I just thought from this week that that's a perfect example of uh, people kind of, oh, all those great songs. And someone like, sorry, I don't hear great songs. I just, you know, hear a murderer yeah, woman's it, life that he took. It's that's so hard. It's 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 perfect. You brought up Michael Jackson because I, I know that family. Um, I uh, I've known them for for 20 years at the Safe Chuck family, and they're not. They're not liars. Uh, I and I've had an awkward relationship with James, and I, now I know why. I could never, I could never quite. We 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 would click here and there. The last time I saw him, he gave me a big hug, and 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 I could tell something was up. And then the the documentary came out, and I mean I've got a this is it that I've turned around. I mean I'm a, you couldn't find a bigger like I loved Michael Jackson and. I did like a lot of people. I just did not want to believe it. And I, I compartmentalized it. And then it turns out like a, a close friend of mine and my, my wife is, was much closer with Laura. I've known Laura, his wife. I've known her for, for over 20 years. Um, these are not, these are the, they are the sweetest people. And to hear that and to watch Laura, uh, what she went through. Yeah. It's, it's so tough when these, when these people die, it's, it, I guess as we get older, I'm definitely, I'm much more open. And I realize that we're all, if I were to die, I mean, I've done horrible things and that I am, I am so sorry for, and I ask forgiveness. If you were to bring them to light and say out in public, look what Nathan did. He's a dirt bag. Um, you know, there are also a lot of good things I've done. So it, it, but yeah, I'm not a serial rapist of children, but you know, I, it's such a, t- it's such a tough one. And, and, uh, so, so yeah, I, you know, I kind of like you guys, I'm, I'm getting a little better at it and I'm really happy to see that, that the NFL is making some, some progress. And I'm like, you said, I'm looking forward to that graphic designer pulling it together uh, at Washington. I can only, I, it would be so much fun if we could get in on those pitch meetings right now to find out what the, you know, what are the top 10 uh, mascots they've got going. Well, uh, Nathan, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because we have 20 people here who are going to talk about the worst and best things you've done in your life. So uh, stay tuned for the next four hours. Uh, Nathan, 
Yeah, um, yeah. Nate, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. it was, thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure. We are back here on Steve Sack Syndrome. Just a few minutes left, but want to give our thanks again to Nathan Duvall for uh, talking to us about Tommy Lasorda and many other things. Circling back to seeing the uh, NFL again, getting to playoff games. Crazy. We, we didn't know if that was ever going to happen. And actually having some fans involved, mm-hmm. which was cool. I mean, these are very small numbers. It's, you know, 10% of the capacity of these stadiums. And it does seem like... People have to go through many, many hurdles to, just to get in there. Um, but it was nice to hear players like Aaron Rodgers acknowledge that even 7,000 people can make a difference, can really remind you of what it is to play for fans, to be inspired by a, a live attending audience. I mean, we saw in the Bills-Ravens game where the um, Ravens were pinned back in their um, at their own one um, and – you know, the end zone that was just filled with Bills fans um, making a lot of noise. They had to move to a silent count after two false starts. That's with 6,700 fans in the, in the stadium. So what I've heard is that um, that people who have gone to both of these two home Bills games for playoffs is, okay, there's only 6,700 fans, but they're there are all those seats that are in front of you that are made of like metal and aluminum. So people are just pounding on those things. And so you don't really, really get to do that when it's jam packed with people. Even if you did it, the sound would kind of be muffled and not resonating. So they're like, you can make a lot of noise with just going. And there are like on Bill's Twitter, like Bill's fans showing their hands that are all just like gummed up from hitting metal in the freezing cold for three hours. It's pretty, pretty inspiring. And to circle back to my comment of last week, when I sort of lightly questioned Bill's mafia, is that, is that, a, is that a great term <laughs> to be throwing around? And what did they do this week? They open with a segment narrated by Ray Liotta. Yes. Uh, I love anytime Ray Liotta gets some work, but I was like, Oh, we're going straight into this. Um, like that is not a light reference anymore. And it's like, Nope. Mafia. And they were kind of like, and the Baltimore Ravens, we're not sure how it fits into this narrative, but we're just going to go with it too. So they're playing against them as well. So yeah, uh, like, for as far back as I can remember, I was like, they're going for it. They're doing it. Bill's Mafia. Good fellas. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.